hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. <laughs> Today, we are on episode 21. Stephen, can you tell me anything about Tintern Abbey? No, that's your job. Oh, okay. okay. I'll just get on with my story, so shall I? Crackity crack. <laughs> It never fazed me before walking through the ruins of a castle or an abbey, admiring the architecture and imagining what life was like for those who lived there. Before we started this podcast, I usually pictured princesses running around a maypole, giggling with their ladies-in-waiting or monks peacefully living their lives of solitude and prayer. It never once dawned on me why these places so beautiful were abandoned. And now suddenly all my imaginings of giggles and chatting or of young women running and screaming as invaders break down the once impressive gates that kept them safe. The battlements being climbed over like a small garden wall. The killing of castle soldiers who may have to each other been brothers, fathers or sons. Or the monks being slaughtered because someone else wanted the monastery that was built for them as their new humble abode. Consider this when you visit Tintern Abbey, County Wexford. Knight William Marshall is remembered as the greatest knight that ever lived, so it seems a great place to begin our story. Though he was known as the most powerful medieval figure, he came from very humble beginnings. From a landless and penniless man, to an Anglo-Norman soldier and statesman who served five English kings during his lifetime and became a favourite of King Henry II. As a reward for his bravery throughout the years, William was granted Isabel de Clare's hand in marriage. Isabel was the only daughter and heir of the Norman Lord Strongbow and Ethan McMurrow. Isabel was described as the good, the fair, the wise, the courteous lady of high degree. William was known for his loyalty, honour and for keeping his word. Fair, brave, wise and loyal, the couple sounded like a perfect and strategic fit. But unlike most stories where a woman of 17 or 18 is handed to a man 20 years her senior, these two were also a really great love match. The marriage also meant that William was granted Isabel's father's title and lands. This included the lands of Tintern Abbey, an extensive holding in the province of Leinster, William becoming the Earl of Pembroke and Lord of Leinster. So William and his bride began their fateful voyage to Ireland to survey their Irish lands in the year 1200. They departed from Pembroke, Wales, and all was fine until out of nowhere a terrifying storm erupted, as if the Irish Sea was testing the entire martial fleet. Legend says that William dropped to his knees and swore that if he survived the night of the worst storm he had ever witnessed, he would build an abbey wherever he landed safely. On arriving at Bano Bay, William, known as a man of his word, dutifully commissioned Tintern Abbey. He granted 8,500 acres of land to the Cistercian Order. The name Tintern comes from Tintern Abbey in Wales, which was sometimes known as Tintern Major to differentiate between the two. William was also a patron of Tintern Abbey Major, which was founded by Isabel's grand-uncle, Walter de Clare. Tintern Abbey was colonised by monks from Tintern Major. It went on to be the third richest abbey in Ireland. Through self-sufficiency and a long-term perspective, the monks were able to strive for perfection in their construction and agricultural activities. In addition to following a three-year crop rotation, the Cistercians introduced new animal breeds 
and arguably introduced Gothic architecture to Ireland for the first time. For water and sanitation supply in the monastery, the monks regularly diverted rivers, challenging engineering boundaries. After Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries, Tintern Abbey and its grounds were granted firstly to Sir James Croft, and then in 1575 to Anthony Colclough of Staffordshire, a captain in Queen Elizabeth I's army, as payment for his 28 years of unpaid service to the crown. The church, cloister, and associated buildings along with extensive lands were ultimately passed on. Legend has it that when Sir Anthony Colclough took up residence in Tintern, he found several Cistercian monks still occupying the abbey. The monks were horrifically put to death, but not before one of them placed a curse of fire and water on Colclough. The curse promised unhappy lives and violent deaths for Sir Anthony's residents. Sir Anthony turned the monastery into a private dwelling. The first building to be modified was the Abbey Tower, which was turned into a fine fortified residence, where in 1579 they entertained guests. Among these guests were the Lord Deputy Sir William Drury and the Lord Justice Sir William Pelham, as well as a large military force. Anthony had 12 children, one of whom was Thomas. Thomas continued with the renovations in Tintern in 1600. Now bear with me, we're going to say a lot of names next. Thomas married twice. His first wife, Martha Loftus, was a member of the Reformed Church. She and Thomas had one son named Adam. His second wife, Eleanor Bagenal, was Catholic and they had four children, all of whom were raised as Catholics. Thomas's first son, Adam, a Protestant, inherited the estates in 1624, but the lands became divided along religious lines between Catholic and Protestant. The Catholic branch held the lands in the area known as Duffery. During the 1641 rebellion, 200 Protestants found refuge in Tintern, which was garrisoned with 40 soldiers from Duncannon Fort. Thomas and his second wife Eleanor's son, Dudley Colclough, and his two brothers Anthony and John took control of the abbey after a two-week-long siege. After Oliver Cromwell's arrival in 1649, Dudley was banished to Connacht. He ultimately died in exile in France. The lands were reunited in the same year when Caesar Colclock inherited them and he held the title until 1684. A famous sportsman and athlete and generous landlord beloved by his people, Caesar inherited the Duffery lands when he was 16 years old, followed by the Tintern lands a few years later. Many newly ordained priests worked as gardeners and farmhands on Tintern estates during the period of religious oppression under the penal laws and carried out their ministry quietly and without fear of their landlord. Caesar did make one fatal mistake. He invoked a curse from the fairies. At the end of the 17th century, he demolished a ring fort nearby said to be frequented by the fairies. After hiring some men to dig, they broke their pickaxes on touching the stone in the ring fort and as they tried to load the first load of soil onto a cart, it sank in the surrounding bog, taking the horse with it. After that, the men left Caesar to do the rest of the digging himself, refusing to work any further, saying the fort was cursed by the fairies. Among Caesar's most famous acts were when he brought a hurling team to play a challenging match at the behest of King George. He swore that his Wexford hurlers were far superior to the famous hurlers in Cornwall. The Wexford men wore yellow sashes around their waists to differentiate the teams, 
and the story goes that of course they obliterated them, but that the skill displayed by Colclock's team caused the King William and his Queen to call out, Come on, the Yellow Bellies! Fine fellow Yellow Bellies! A name still heard shouted by fans at matches today. Caesar was engaged to the lovely heiress of Redmond Hall, Loftus Hall as we know it today. She was responsible for keeping the light burning at the nearby Hookhead Lighthouse. On Caesar's return journey to Ireland, after winning the hurling match, the enraged fairies lulled the good lady to sleep and blew out the lighthouse lamp. His ship crashed against the rocks and he died. For almost a century after Caesar's death, the abbey and lands were passed through complicated lines of inheritance, as owners died without heirs. Vessi inherited the Tintern lands, but his tenure was turbulent. He squandered and mortgaged his inheritance while gaining fame for his illicit activities. Vessi's son John took control after his father's death. John had a legal background and tried to turn the fortunes of the estate around. In 1795, John had established a nursery to grow seedlings for the extensive plantations he envisioned. John is to be credited with the captivating view of the abbey from the entrance driveway, as he created a wide lawn in front of the abbey surrounded by woodlands. The next change John made was to the nave of the church. He converted this into a commodious Georgian Gothic mansion. The Lady Chapel was converted into a family kitchen and the large room above was used as a family library. Unfortunately, John was killed in a duel. He was shot dead by his fiancé's brother, William Alcock, whom he was running against in an election. William accused John of stealing support from tenants obligated to vote for him in what was, by today's standards, a slightly democratic election. In 19th century Ireland, dueling was still socially acceptable, so Alcock was acquitted of murder, but he was not in office for long. The horror of the scene weighed heavy on him, and two years after the duel, he was committed to an asylum. The estate was inherited by another Caesar, Colclock. Caesar relocated the old village of Tintern to nearby salt mills, establishing the village that exists today. At the beginning of the 19th century, Due to being a prisoner of war in France, Caesar was an absentee landlord. His steward, James Kennedy, managed his estate during this time. At some point, a hefty sum of £80,000, roughly £1.8 million today, went missing from the family funds. Though there was no evidence ever found against him, Caesar's wife, Jane Kerwin, dismissed James Kennedy nonetheless. Jane, who had come to control Caesar's every move, was also suspected of his death. Many believed she had poisoned him, ending the male line. The great lawsuits resulted in financial demands and hardship for Tintern that it has never recovered from. After the court proceedings, it was determined that the estate was rightfully owned by the Canadian Mary Colclock through the male line. Has this got something to do with the curse the monks bestowed upon the Colclock residence, I hear you ask? Why yes, it has been slowly making its way through them. Four were killed during duels, including John. He was actually the last person in Wexford to be killed in a duel. Two were hanged, three died in battle, two were killed in riding accidents, one was killed by an explosion of a gun barrel, and of course Caesar, who was murdered by his wife. There have long been reports that the Abbey is haunted by the apparition of monks in procession, walking through the grounds, chanting Latin can be heard from the Abbey walls. Whether these are the ghosts of the monks slaughtered by Sir Anthony, or some ghostly echo of residual energy, 
buried into the walls from those who had occupied the abbey for centuries before he arrived. I think it could be both. In the 1980s, archaeologists began working on several areas in the abbey. Not long after the excavations began, a lot of the team reported a feeling of paranormal presence. They kept working and soon uncovered more than 50 skeletons, some of them in shallow graves, directly beneath the Cold Clock's residence. Given the condition in which they were buried, it's fair to say they were not buried by their brothers in proper graves. The assumption is that these are the skeletons of the monks that Sir Anthony brutally murdered when he first came to Tintern Abbey. It's nice to enjoy history, but we must also respect it. Be kind when you visit places that came long before you and will probably still stand long after you're gone, because you never know what still lives there. What do you think of that story? Sounds creepy. I don't know what it is when it's a church or a monastery or... That, I don't know why that just has that extra spooky thing for me. There's always skeletons in the church wardrobe. In the church wardrobe. That's but underground. Do you know what though? I didn't realise until I googled it afterwards. The nave of a chapel is the long part. So where uh, the congregation The bit where the priest is speaking. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, where the congregation would sit. So basically they turned that whole thing into two separate floors, I think. Or there was a room above it already. But that's a massive, massive living space. I think it's the same as Loftus Hall. I don't think it was just that one family that was living there. I think they had other residents and tenants and stuff like that because the money just ran out and it was too hard to keep the gardens and it was too hard to keep the upkeep of the house. It was too hard to heat it. It was too hard to do everything because the place is huge. Weren't the monks doing a lot of the garden and stuff? The monks were doing a lot all themselves. But Until when they it got ca- killed. Well, well yeah, do. you would stop gardening after that, really. The only garden they were doing was pushing up daisies. Exactly. It's kind of not on your priority list. Yes, that was a very funny dad joke. <laughs> um, no, but they were all, they were doing their own thing and they had their crop rotation. They diverted rivers. Like they were, as I said, they were pushing the boundaries when it came to engineering, given the, the time that they were around. But them doing all the work pre-electricity and pre-pushed air, or what's it called? I think Loftus Loftus House had it. The pushed hot air heating kind of thing. Pre-all of that, you know, you go out and you chop down a tree and you cut up logs for a fire to heat your house. And it was, you know, you'd have a, I don't know, a bath and a big tub that you'd go and physically get water yourself. So as time went on and more amenities became more available and you know the luxuries that we like there's no way we could live like monks now i'd be crazy without the podcast what would we do as time went on money just wasn't there like especially when i was saying there the vessi he squandered everything now again if somebody's interested in it i'll put up all the links not one person that i've mentioned today and i mentioned them for a reason not one person hasn't got some big mad Wikipedia page on them because they're all, some of them are really great people. And then the likes of Essie was just, I say, illicit activities. The man was as corrupt and backwards as anything. So all these family lines, it was just, it was just pure madness because I didn't realise that the uh, Cistercian order, I suppose, was Catholic because I thought because he came over from England, obviously it was going to be Protestant, but it was Catholic. Oh, I, don't know. I need to get out of 1800 Ireland because if Ollie Cromwell comes up one more time, my blood pressure is going to go through the roof. Not a fan of Mr. Cromwell. No, not in the slightest. I, I never realised this episode and the next episode we're going to cover have made me exceptionally patriotic. <laughs> I didn't, uh, didn't realise how much I actually love Irish history. 
Now, the only thing is, I don't know how you're going to come up with main characters because there's so many mentioned. I don't know if you want to just stick with... There is so many that I don't know if it would be effective to do <laughs> It'd be a really game, big yeah. cast. Well, I did want to ask you about the Yellow Bellies. Yes. Is that an actual... Yeah, so they have Yellow... Uh, yeah, they're the Wexford team. That's mad. Yeah, because I looked it up afterwards because I don't really want to say anything. Like, yeah, it makes a good story, but I don't want to say anything that's not factual. Now, whether that's what they're called nowadays is another story altogether but like your granddad and my granddads and their granddad's mm-hmm. granddads might call might have called them them and if you're if you are a staunch Wexford hurling fan like your family would yeah. probably have like the original crests and stuff like that but yeah that's how they differentiated the teams they wore yellow sashes around their waist I just thought it was really funny that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. I, like, I wouldn't yeah, even tell you what Wexford's yeah. colours are now I think I want to say purple and yellow but I don't know if that's rugby no that's gag colour their hurling team is pretty good. Hurling, yeah. No, their hurling team is pretty good. Who was the guy that got sent to Connacht? Oh, he was banished. Was that around the time, I'm just going back to my primary school history, was that like the time where he would have given it to Heller to Connacht with you? Oh God, I don't know. Is that a thing? Was that a thing? Do you not remember that? That was uh, the English were colonising and they wanted to take over the lands. They pushed the Catholics out and sent them to Connacht and kept the rest of the country. I wonder and if that's was, because Connacht is far west. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. But, but what it was is you either went to hell or Connacht. Basically, you go or we shoot you. Ginny Mackers, I don't know. No, but it's a, it's a good question. And were these, like, Loftus Hall came up there as well in the story. Redmond, yeah. yeah. Now, I can't fact check the dates on that. Um, I could probably find out who it was that was looking after the uh, lighthouse. I could probably find out from the years that way. I remember saying to you last week that Anne from Loftus Hall, obviously when she played the game of cards and the devil went soaring through the roof and she died a heartbreak. I actually thought that there was a correlation there that maybe she died a heartbreak because blah, blah, blah. And then I read this and then I realised now the timing is off completely because the Loftus family came after the Redmond family. So the timing didn't match uh-huh. up at all. Um, but it would have been a really cool coincidence if all of a sudden this other Abby's main historical reference debunked Loftus' claim to oh yeah the devil came and played cards here. It would have been really funny, but no, the times are the times are completely off. Any other questions for me? No, it's hard not. to have questions when I give a really descriptive yeah. episode. I need I need to go and study it. And did you want me to give you less information? Oh yeah, but I think I think we're good there. I think that was a good story. Well, I think so too. Do you yeah. want to do your words? I'll do my words. So if you have any thoughts, comments or queries on today's episode or any other episode, you can DM us on our Instagram page. It's what's the story ghost. If you have any personal stories of your own that you would like to share, the email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. And with that being said, Exit Jingle. Okay, bye. But I know.